Father in heaven, thank you again for Jesus, Lord, who makes all of this possible. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for each precious person that's here today. Thank you for the little ones, Lord, who you have a special tender regard for. And God, thank you for the gift of salvation. We want to pray and ask that the Holy Spirit would be present today to lead us deep in the Word of God, that you would challenge us, that you would call us higher. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, name of the sermon today is called, From Everest to what? Everest to His Rest. That's right. Everest to His Rest. It's been a a wonderful theme throughout this whole week of prayer. And by the way, has anybody had a chance to actually go into the back of the church and see the mini Mount Everest over there? Okay, we actually had Marlo Burgess, and uh, he built that thing, okay? Him and his wife, they donated that, and uh, it's going to go back to the school, but he spent several days working on this thing. It's so sturdy, adults can stand up there. In fact, I saw several adults climbing this thing during VBS. Some of them actually got stuck a little bit, too. But here's the thing. It's just an awesome theme when you begin to think about mountains, right? Throughout this whole week, we've been covering how Jesus went up on different mountains and how each one of those mountaintop experiences represents something extraordinary. You know, when I went to India, I went to the far east side of India. And where I was in India, you could see the Himalayas off in the distance. The Himalayas are the highest mountain regions in this entire world. And you can see those beautiful Himalayas way off in the distance. And there's clouds along the top. And somewhere up above those clouds is the peak of Mount Everest. Has anybody ever here had the crazy idea doesn't mean you're going to follow through on this or even the thought that occurred to you I would like to climb Mount Everest one day raise your hand I mean I mean I want you to, even if you don't ever plan to do it but you think to yourself I wonder what it would be like if I was to climb Mount Everest raise your hand okay some of you need to be a little bit more braver I see Scott Wentz pretty brave right Okay, very good. Alfred, awesome, right? Yes, very good. You know, I've always had this thought about climbing Mount Everest. However, I looked at the cost of climbing the highest mountain in the entire world. You want to know what the cost is? Here's the cost, ladies and gentlemen. It is a minimum of $30,000 to climb that mountain, okay? Most expeditions, however, cost around $65,000, if you want to have a permit, and the permits are the most expensive thing, expensive things, uh, to be able to climb that mountain, you have to get it from the Nepalese government. Just for a party of seven to get a permit, it is $70,000. $70,000. And you also got to think about supplies. You got oxygen tanks, which are $500 each, and you need several oxygen tanks. You need to rent a yak. For $120 a day to get to a certain point, you also have to have Sherpas help you out. And the training itself to be able to climb Mount Everest, they say it's about $8,000. The total gear, $10,000. And just even the cost of flying there is about $1,500 to $3,500. However, there are some businesses that have put this all together, have streamlined it, and just for a little price of $100,000, they'll get you up that mountain. $100,000 to be able to climb Mount Everest 
everything taken care of. In fact, they'll have, you'll actually have a, a fine dining chef who will go to be part of this expedition. That will help serve some delightful food to you as you are climbing up this mountain. $100,000. Some people actually never will make $100,000 in their entire life. But think about this. To climb the highest mountain in the entire world, you can imagine this is a great cost. But I want to let you know something, ladies and gentlemen. To climb the mountains of life, there are gonna, it's going to cost you greatly. And we're going to figure out what that means and understand what I mean by that. You know, it's very interesting. There was a young girl who actually climbed Mount Everest the age of 13 years old. She's from India. I'm going to play that video. Hopefully the sound plays. Today's generation doesn't believe in stopping, asking or giving up. It believes in achieving. This confident young bunch is bending the rules and making it big. And here's the who's who of this generation. I came from poor family. My father name is Devidas. My mother name is Lakshmi. They are agricultural laborers. I was born at Telangana state. Up to fifth class I studied in this village. After fifth class I took admission at social welfare school. When I joined in social welfare school I interested in sports and I participate in all sports. My sport teacher selected me for Bongir rock climbing school. First day I was scared when I saw that 750 feet rock. How to climb? My God, how to climb this rock? Shekhar Babu sir, Parmesh Kumar sir, they trained me. Physically, mentally, I took training three months. Daily, I did 30 kilometers jogging, a special diet. Out of 122 was selected for Mount Everest, I was one of them. I was selected because of stamina, energy, willpower, endurance and cold-bearing capacity. My coach Shekhar Babu sir made me watch videos and photos and 3D walkthrough of Mount Everest on the laptop. I believe with hard work and guidance you can achieve anything. Hi, I am Malavad Purna. I climbed Mount Everest and bent the rules. The next generation of stars is bending the rules with the next generation HP. It's just like Indian commercials to go to electronics ad right afterwards. But here's the thing, how many people were impressed by that? A 13-year-old girl climbed Mount Everest. Now the youngest is actually a 12-year-old boy, but this was the youngest girl, and she climbed the highest mountain in the world. She was chosen, comes from a very poor background. She talked a little bit about her family. In fact, what's very interesting, there's the story's a little bit longer, you can watch the documentary on this. She describes how she, when she was climbing up this mountain, she came across six bodies up there. Mount Everest is full of at least 200 bodies. 
She gets up there, six bodies, and she said, when I was climbing the top of this mountain, she said, I saw these bodies there, and I began to be very fearful. I began to think about my mom, I began to think about my dad, I began to think about my family, as I was getting closer and closer to the top of this mountain. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a reason why they call the top of that mountain the death zone. That's where the majority of people die. The highest mountain in the entire world, Mount Everest. And here you have a little kid climbing the top of it. Can you say amen to that? I just want to say this for all the, the young kids right here. Through the power of God, there is nothing that is impossible for you. Amen. The sky is the limit. And I uh, just want to challenge you, don't waste your youth. Don't waste your youth. God calls you to summit the highest peaks in this entire world. And I'm not just talking about the physical peaks. I'm talking about the challenges of life. Amen? Amen. All right, let's get into our Bible study. Notice what the Bible says right here in Psalms 127 verse 3. Let's read it together. Children are a heritage from the who? Lord, offspring a reward from who? Notice what the Bible is saying, that children are a gift of God. Now, I know there may be some parents here who think to themselves, my children are not a gift from God, okay? But here's the thing, the Bible affirms this, that children are a gift from God, they are a reward. It continues, like arrows in the hands of a what? Warrior are children born in one's... Now notice this, okay, let's read it one more time. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's what? Now, this is very interesting. There's something that is being said right here about children that are born to young parents. The Bible is teaching something quite extraordinary. Now when a warrior shoots an arrow, he has an intended target. He wants to strike that target with as much might and as accuracy as possible. And what the Bible is saying is that it is during this phase that a, that a, target, that a target can be hit so precisely when it comes to someone's dreams. The Bible says something very remarkable. It says this, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. There is no limit to the amount of development that can take place during the young years of a parent's life when they have the energy and the stamina to be able to direct and guide that child. Let's continue. Blessed is the man whose quiver is what? Whose quiver is what? Full of them, that's right. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. The Bible is teaching something so remarkable, and that is that children are a gift from God, but children can accomplish great purposes that maybe even adults could not accomplish. And this is what is so remarkable about this. In fact, the Bible continues talking about children and the plan God desires for to be accomplished in their life. Notice what it says in Psalm 44, verse 12. Let our sons in their what? Youth be as what? Grown-up plants and our daughters as what? Corner pillars fashioned for a what? Palace. The Bible is teaching something so remarkable about His plans for young people. God wants children to grow up and to be able to bear fruit at an early age. It's so remarkable when you begin to think about this. And the daughters to be sculptured in like a, a palace, to be just part of this foundation of the beautiful palace of God. When you begin to realize, man, God has great plans for young people. 
But here's the flip side of this, ladies and gentlemen. The devil has plans for your kids too. When you take a good look at Revelation chapter 13, the Bible is describing the mark of the beast. It says something very interesting. It doesn't just say there's just a group of rebellious adults. The Bible actually says that young, old, big and small will get the mark. The Bible begins to describe that even at the rebellion that will take place at the end of time, that apparently it will not just be relegated to adults, but it will be part of the whole human family that's present there. See, the Bible is teaching something so powerful, and that is God wants to bless your children. Amen? God wants to bless your children. God has special plans for young people. Now, we're going to be looking at a very interesting story. Take your Bible. Let's go to the Gospel of Luke, Dr. Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. Dr. Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. So take your Bibles out. Let's go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look at this Bible. It's got a mobile edition. All right, we're going to Luke chapter 18. Let's go to verse 15. Are we all there? Okay, let's see what the Bible says right here. This is talking about people who are coming to Jesus. Then they also brought what? It says infants or children in some translations. To him that he might what? Touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they what? Rebuke them, but Jesus called them to him and said, Let the children come to me and do not what? Forbid them. Now I want you to stop here before we go any further. I want you to think about this. Why were the parents bringing their children to Jesus? To be blessed. They wanted Jesus to lay hands on them and to pray a special blessing for them. Now, the blessing wasn't simply just for, hey, I just want you know them to have a good personality or I want them just to do well. The Bible teaches that when blessings were to come upon somebody, when hands were being placed upon somebody, it had to do with an anointing for their entire life. You know what the one concern these parents had? Was the future of their children. They cared about the future of their children. And they knew that they needed something outside human power to help them raise their children. So they said, we got an idea. There's Jesus. He heals people. He speaks the word of God. Let's bring our children to them so he can pray a special blessing upon these kids. And as these mothers, like an army, begin to come forward, immediately, these disciples stepped up and said, no, 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 no. The Bible actually uses the word rebuke. Do you know what the word rebukes mean? When you're rebuked, you're scolded, it means you are corrected. And the word rebuke usually implies the correction comes from an authority. And so notice this, these disciples set up, set up, uh, they stand up and they said, you know what? Hey, you don't need to be coming to Jesus. He does not have time for these children. In fact, there's an implication that these disciples believed that this was not worth heaven's time. Like there are more important things right now. We got to deal with this and that. 
And can you imagine these disciples? Constantly they were in crowds. Constantly they were part of these, these kinds of huge gatherings together where they had to be highly organized, where they had to distribute few food or maybe teach the gospel. And so these disciples set up a structure around Jesus that when anybody would come to Jesus, they would first have to go through these disciples. Sounds like something we encounter today. And so notice this. These parents begin to make their way forward and immediately these disciples cut them off. They got that plan. They're blocking them. It's like football players. You're not getting through to Jesus. And immediately Jesus picks up the situation. And notice this. You can imagine Jesus. He's probably healing this person or helping out that person. But immediately he picks up on the situation and he says, wait a minute. Wait just a minute. Notice what the Bible says next. This is very interesting. Verse 16, but Jesus what? Called them to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not what? Forbid them. Notice what he says next. And this is the reasoning. For such is the kingdom of what? Heaven. This is very interesting. Notice this. Here the disciples think that these children are not worth heaven's time. And Jesus turns it around and says, you don't understand. Heaven is about children. In fact, when you read the book Early Writings, you begin to realize in the vision of heaven, there were more children, there were plenty of children there. When you read the book of Isaiah, there is a prophecy about New Jerusalem and it describes the streets will be full of boys and girls playing. And here Jesus is looking up into the future and he says, you don't get it, disciples. This is what heaven is all about. Here you are, you're thinking you're actually protecting heaven. It's time and now you are actually preventing heaven from happening. What a rebuke. And then Jesus says, whoever wants to enter the kingdom of heaven must go in it like a child. Amen. Children are important to Jesus. God cares about your family. He cares for every young one. And if you have a great care for them, how much more does God? Amen. Notice what the book Pastoral Ministry says right here, 275. Very much has been lost to the cause of God. Where here it is. Let's find out about this. Very much has been lost to the cause of God because of what? Inattention to the young. There is a great reluctance on the part of many to become acquainted with the youth. Do you know what is being said right here? That many people actually don't want to deal with young people in the church. There's a reluctance. We have more important things to talk about, like women's ordination. We have more important things to talk about, like business meeting and the way we run this church. We have more important things to attend to than deal with these things. And so there's this reluctance to deal with children. But notice what it said next. But it is accounted of heaven a neglect of what? Guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Heaven holds this against us if we neglect ministry to kids. Let's continue. A sin against souls for whom Christ died. Now this part's very um, powerful right here. The youth are objects of what? Satan's special attacks. Satan's special attacks. 
The devil begins to target, and you know what he begins to place his bigger tar- biggest target upon? He begins to place it upon young people. Because he realizes something about these young people. They're at a stage where they're very moldable, and that whoever begins to mold them will be able to accomplish great purposes in the future. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior. This particular fallen angel seeks to take these arrows and put them in his own quiver because he knows that if he can shoot these arrows, he's going to accomplish his goals. You know, when I uh, became 36 years old, two Sabbaths ago, it was a extraordinary event. And I thought to myself, I am getting older, I just want to forget about my age. Some of you are like, you're 36 years old. Yeah, that happens. Anyways, after the evangelistic series ended, I went home for a couple days to visit my mom. As I was driving there, there was a question that kept coming to my mind. I really believe that the Lord placed this question in my mind. And here's the question. I said this to myself. What things am I happy that I invested in when I was a teenager that I'm thankful to God for right now? That's the first question. Here's my second question. My second question was this. What things am I not happy I have invested in when I was in my teens today? Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to think about this. And so my question began to go like something like this. Wait a minute. What stuff can I now begin to invest in that 20 years from now that I'm going to be thankful for? Because here's the thing, there are two days, ladies and gentlemen, two days in the year that you won't see, yesterday and tomorrow. But the inevitable part of that is tomorrow will eventually come and it will become today. And so the question I'm asking you is the same question I started asking myself. What sort of things can I begin to invest in today that 20 years from now, when I'm, say, like 56, man, 56. (laughs) That I'm going to look back and I'm going to be like, man, I praise the Lord that when I was 36, I began to make these decisions. Ladies and gentlemen, I really want to challenge you on this point. Now, when I begin to think about this, I begin to think, wait a minute, I know, maybe I need to have some kind of financial investment. I wish I started when I was age 20, right? (laughs) Maybe start a savings account with high interest, right? A CD account, who knows? But it wasn't finances that I was concerned about. The one thing that I can have no regrets about, that when I begin to invest in it today, that I'm going to reap later on, is my investment in the church, the kingdom of heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, I really want to challenge you on this point that you would begin to take a real good look at what is happening in your life today. Because here's the thing, 20 years is coming up and it's coming up tomorrow. And before you know it, if Jesus hasn't come back, you'll be on your bed. And you've got to ask yourself right now why you still have your breath, why you still have most of your body parts, why you still have a mind. What kind of decisions can you make today? And so as I begin to reflect upon this, the one thing that I felt the conviction upon is the kingdom of heaven. I want to begin to invest even more in the kingdom of heaven. Because 20 years from now, I may be rich, I may be poor. I may have a house, I may not. 
But the one thing that is a guarantee is that if I invest in the kingdom of heaven now, there will be a guarantee of future benefits. Can you say amen to that? And so I really want to challenge you on this point that you begin to reflect upon that. And as you begin to look in the areas of your life, think about various things that are around you. Think about ministries. Think about the church. Think about your talents. Think about your lifestyle. Think about your habits. Think about your children. What kind of investments do you want to place in their life today? That later on, there will be an abundant harvest because of it. The devil is targeting young people. He wants these arrows because he wants his own target. You know, I take a political science. I'm a political science major at Stanford State University. And I forgot, it was last year. I took some classes. One was, uh, I think it was constitutional law. The teacher said this. First day, he's like, how many people here want to go to law school? Everybody raised their hand except for me. I, just, I was not planning to go to law school. Everyone raised their hand. And I thought to myself as I saw everybody raise their hand, this is the future of our world. And as the months begin to go by, as the weeks begin to go by, the days begin to go by, at the very end of that semester, I thought to myself, this is the future of the world? Ladies and gentlemen, there is something that is coming into our society that is beginning to drive and direct our society in a certain way. And if your eyes are open and if your heart is open to the Spirit of God, you will begin to discern that some of these things, many of these things are not healthy. And what it is, it is an attack upon the future. There are things being placed in certain places like a chess game for that final move, checkmate. And this is the time that God is calling His people to be alert. And I really believe that where Satan is investing his attacks is in young people like never before. Because he knows that if he can invest in their lives now, he's going to accomplish his bigger purposes later on. But God is calling us to arms. Amen? God is not calling us just to sit back and say, well, so be it. It's the will of God. It is not the will of God for your children to perish. It is not the will of God for your children to be used by the devil. It is not the will of God for your children to be out of the church. God is calling you like never before to rise up to a greater standard, higher than the highest human thought, is God's ideal for His people. The Bible teaches something so remarkable about the life of Jesus, that at the age of 12 years old, He began to experience something that was very powerful. It teaches in Luke chapter 2, that He went to the sanctuary, He went to Jerusalem, He saw the sanctuary, separated from His parents, and when His parents took their eyes off him for a few days. They found him somewhere. Where did they find him? In the temple. And what was he doing in that temple? The Bible says he was answering questions and he was listening, surrounded by people. And in the Jewish culture, the teacher would be in the midst and the students would surround them. But in this particular circumstance, who's sitting in the midst of the teachers? Jesus is the teacher here. But what is so amazing is afterwards his parents find him. They said, hey son, what have you been doing? You really, you, you abandoned us and we're upset. And Jesus said, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? Now let me ask you a question. What was he doing at that time that was his father's business? Because whatever he was doing, he said, this is my father's business. What was he doing? He was fulfilling the plans of God. 
When you actually read what was taking place prior to this, there's just silence about the life of Christ. Silence. At the age of 12, the Bible says something very remarkable. It says that he went into the temple... And he began to have this special encounter that was taking place there. The book Desire of Ages even tells us that while he was at the temple, he was looking at the temple, and his mind began to work out some unusual kind of problem. It was like everything was coalescing. The Spirit of God was bringing in various components, and everything that Jesus was born for began to finally make sense. And that's right, ladies and gentlemen, when we study the sanctuary, we learn our identity and mission too. Amen? And so here Jesus is. And from this point on, the Bible says he didn't just grow spiritually or mentally or just, um, you know, physically. The Bible begins, says, begins to say he grew spiritually, mentally, physically, and then it says, and in favor with man. What began to happen? Jesus' social power began to grow from this point on. Why? Because he began to realize at an early age what his identity was and what his mission was, and that was to save mankind. Now many of you are thinking to yourself, well, praise the Lord, Anel, that's good for you. But you don't know what it's like to raise children. That's absolutely true and absolutely false at the same time. I haven't had many encounters with children. I was a youth pastor. They call me their dad. I even have some kids call me their dad and they have kids already. But here's the thing. There's a biblical principle that we need to understand. Notice what the Bible says. Let's read it together about children. Train up a child in the way he should go and when he is what old he will not what that word train is a very interesting word it essentially means guide now i want you to think about this i want you to think about a tomato plant when you have a tomato plant and you don't guide the tomato plant's growth you know what it does tomato plants are going to grow either way they're going to grow off to the side and their tomatoes what's going to happen to those tomatoes They're going to become targets for little bugs that are on the dirt, right? And those tomatoes sometimes become rotten and just really bad. But what you do if you're taking care of tomatoes, you put this kind of metal mesh around it where that tomato plant, as it's growing, will be guided upward so that when the tomatoes are growing, they're going to grow in a place that where they're not being just the targets of little ground bugs, right? And they're not going to rot, And so the Bible is teaching something. Children are going to grow either way. But as a parent, as a guardian, as a teacher, as a mentor, you have a responsibility. And that is, as the growth is happening, you've got to assist in growing it the right way. The right way. And the Bible teaches that when he's older, he shall not depart from it. Ladies and gentlemen, there is something very powerful that we need to regain. And that is teaching Our children about God. You say, well, we have a Sabbath school. Here's the thing. Sabbath schools will never take the place of instruction that happens in the home. Will my children go to a Christian school? It will never take the place of what happens in the home. The home is the foundation of all society. It is the bone of society. And what takes place in the home is that which impacts the life of a child most... And the Bible is teaching, this is a special time for us to train up kids in a right way. You know, I had this um, interesting experience. I want to share a little bit more about it. Look what Deuteronomy says about how this teaching should take place. Let's read it together. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are what? 
sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way and when you lie down and when you what? Now what is this describing here? Does anybody know? Is it describing them just sitting down in several seats and you instructing them? Where is the instruction taking place? Notice this. This is very important. As they are with you in life's duties. Many people think, I have to take care of life's duties separate from my children. Well, the Bible is teaching that your children should be involved as you are carrying out life's duties. This is a very important principle, and this is a principle that most kids don't, uh, aren't able to experience today, especially in America. You know, being a youth pastor for several years, I would come across many kids, and I'm like, hey, where's your dad? Oh, my dad's at work, and when he comes home, he goes into the garage and does this and that, and I never get to see him. I'm like, well, when do you spend time? He's like, well, we watch a sports game together. That's about it. I'm like, you don't have any other interaction? It's like, no. You see what's happening? There is a split that is happening from the connection of parents or guardians from children themselves. I know it's not an easy thing to take care of your children or have your children with you, especially when they're just like constantly running that way or this way or that way, right? But the Bible is teaching the best kindness of instruction can happen when you are carrying out life's duties and you look for opportunities to instruct them. I have a video. It took place in 2011. I was driving to go visit somebody. And I decided to take my little niece and nephew. This was 2011. I actually talked to my sister to see if it was okay to show this video. And I started to witness to them. I had to babysit these kids, okay? And I had to go visit my family, okay? Or visit somebody, a a church member. And I'm thinking, man, I'm just going to take these kids with me. And so as we were driving, (laughs) I started witnessing to them, okay? So I want you to pay attention to their response. Hopefully the sound will play here. It's a little bit funny, but notice the light coming into their mind. But here's the thing, you know, and I say this because here are these kids, they grew up in a Hindu household. And the first time she, that, she said the word Jesus, that was the first time that ever came from her lips. I want you to notice something. There are so many kids all over the entire world who have never even spoken the name of Jesus. And can you imagine the heart of God towards these kids? Here's the time when these kids are somewhat, somewhat, in whatever capacity possible, they're starting to understand something of the plan of redemption. Ladies and gentlemen, I really want to challenge you guys, when it comes to the investment of young people, when it comes to the investment of children, the best way you can invest in their lives is bring their lives into contact with your life. Amen? And as you're going about doing those things, those kids come come with you when it comes to those things. And they will pick up on that. And the best way that kids learn is not through just simply rote teaching, it's by imitation. It's when they model. And your life leaves an impression upon their lives. You know, the Bible teaches something so powerful and it's teaching that God has a plan. The gospel that goes out goes to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And that includes young people. You know, there are so many kids around this whole community that don't know a single thing about Jesus, but when they get into the right environment, they grow. You can take some of the most disobedient kids, but put in the right environment, they grow. Ladies and gentlemen, God is calling us again to invest in the lives of young people. Jesus said, for such is the kingdom of heaven.
And if that is what the kingdom of heaven is all about, then that is something our church should begin a brand new, even more renewed interest in the lives of young people. We have an awesome school. I wish for the day that my niece and nephew could attend a Christian school. I pray about it still. But many of us have that opportunity today. There's no reason why that our kids can't grow to love Jesus. It takes effort. It takes climbing up a hard mountain. It takes investment. It takes a community. But when we begin to make this investment, we'll see God will be right there by our side helping us. God looks upon this favorably, ladies and gentlemen. And so my challenge to this church again, to every person that you would realize, God is calling you to invest in the future. Amen? How many people say, I want to make an impact in the life of a young person sometime in my life. I want to make a huge impact in their lives. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again. Thank you, Lord, for the... All the children who are going to be in heaven one day. Lord, thank you so much that when we begin to be a witness to young people, more than just tell them what is right, but show them, Lord, and help them experience that through our lives, God. We know, God, that we are doing what you would have us to do. Father in heaven, thank you that Jesus loves us. This we know, for the Bible tells us so. May that be the song that we teach children. May it be the love of God that becomes the primary part of our teaching, not just in words, but in action. God, thank you for this brand new calling, a renewed calling. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.